Yeah, and I say this about people that are in shame about recovery, in shame about affairs, in shame around their body, in shame around their money, <laughs> shame period, around these kind of things that need to be healed. It only ever meant you were in pain. That's all it meant. It, that's all. The worst money decision you ever made was only because you were in pain. And if you could have some compassion for that woman or man at that time in their life that did the best they could in pain, you know, that's why we grab a drink. That's why we buy a house. That's why we have an affair. That's why it's anything. It's like these kind of decisions were made out of trying to cope with pain. That was Meadow DeVore, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 93. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing, telling the truth about our lives. Even if it's confusing or messy, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, even if we're embarrassed about it, we tell the truth. No one's trying to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. You won't find any 10-day, six-step life hacking plans for anything. I'm totally over that approach, and I bet you are too. Life is complicated and messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, which, warning, often means we use adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads, you won't hear any sponsor promotions. This show is 100% listener-funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. If you're already supporting the show, thank you. You're the best, and I'm so ridiculously grateful that you're helping me to bring more real talk and honesty into the world. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. But first, let's talk about beliefs. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a truly diverse group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. As a thank you, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our virtual book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series, and you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live, the small, fun, in-person event series that kicks off in London in early August. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. 
Your support means everything to me. It truly does. And it's what will allow me to continue making new episodes for you as we join together to build a kinder, more open, and more truth-filled world. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Meadow DeVore. Meadow is an internationally recognized yoga teacher, master life coach, and writer. She's the founder of Yoga Church and the author of Money Love, a guide to changing the way you think about money. She speaks, writes, and coaches extensively on the topics of money, sobriety, trauma, yoga, and healing, and she has even had the pleasure of being a guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show. In this episode, Meadow shares her money story, what she learned about money as a child, how that influenced her spending and earning behaviors, and how she wound up over $500,000 in debt. She tells the truth about her relationship with money, how she has worked to change and heal, and what still comes up for her even after all this work and all this time. This conversation is so beautifully honest. I'm always finding myself wishing people were more open about money. And if you feel the same, then I bet you will love hearing from Meadow as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Meadow, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You were one of my wish list guests for guests for a while, so I feel very honored to have you here. Oh my gosh, I know. Likewise, I don't. I I think it's always amazing if I get invited to talk at all about my work or about my story. So it's always fun. Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. Oh my gosh, I am obsessed with <laughs> rest. And, um, and that is really, really weird for me. That's not normal. I have been a chronic uh, alcoholic. No, no, not that chronic workaholic for years. And, um, and ended up kind of overworking myself because I love my job so much and I'm kind of dog to the bone, just don't stop. And, um, and I drilled myself into some pretty severe, um, exhaustion this last spring. So I right now am spending 30 days in Big Sur, almost completely internet free, no cell service. I have a phone that's attached to a wall with a curly cord <laughs> and a call waiting. <laughs> and that's how I talk to the outside world. And it's just so that's that's my latest obsession is this like very, very deep, almost old fashioned rest that I'm taking. And, and if you knew me, you would understand how difficult that has been for me. It's just so wildly different than the re- my regular life. So I was working seven days a week, traveling almost every week to some new place and teaching somewhere. So this is this is deeply, deeply different for me. Okay, so I definitely want to dig into that. That's really interesting. Was there like a specific day that you remember or a moment or a conversation where you realized, wow, I've completely burned myself into the ground. Like something has to change. Yeah. Yeah. I got really sick. I was on retreat in Vermont leading a, a retreat with Laura McCowan actually. And, and I was with her and I was like, I'm not okay. I, I'm, I'm really sick, I think. And, um, and she and I, we work really, really well together. And she has, had seen me just be this workhorse, workhorse, workhorse. And the fact that I needed to go lay down, and this was like maybe the third day into the retreat, was really weird. That's just not what I 
did ever. And, you know, I was alarmed. She was alarmed. Like, what's happening to you? <laughs> you are laying down. Of all people, you are laying down. I have to go lay down. And, and so I went to the doctor the night, the day that I got home and, and, um, yeah, got, got some specific news. It's like, you are not okay. You have exhausted yourself and you are not going to get better if you don't radically change your life. So, so yes, I know the day I know where I was. <laughs> I was in a farmhouse in Vermont. I know who the people were there with me. <laughs> so then what was that like for you sort of emotionally or identity wise? Like it sounds like you love the work that you do and work really oh hard and that's yeah. a point of pride, right? So, and like maybe part of your identity as well, like then to have to kind of scale back from that and make this pivot and to start to make changes, like how was that to wrestle with? Oh my God. It's, it, it wasn't part of my identity. My job has been my entire identity. Like this has been an absolute, absolute existential meltdown for me. Um, and, and, and it was necessary and good and I needed it and it was right on time. And it was one of those things that is like, if I, if I don't have that big of a sign, I'm never going to stop because I could just go. I was always the person that just could keep going and, and to get to a point where, nope, you can't. And you can't even a little bit, like you really, really are not okay. Um, no, it has, it has turned my world upside down. It's not even, I am, I don't feel recognizable to myself. It's, it's, um, it's put into question every aspect of my business, every aspect of how I teach, how I run things, um, social media and how much I want to engage with that. Like all of this big machine of the way this, like, being some kind of online personality requires so much of this constant upkeep almost. And um, so all of that had to be tabled. Um, I ended up uh, canceling a training that I had on deck and had refunding money and sending people money back, uh, canceling a bunch of retreats. Um, and then, and then this month, just being up in the woods and being silent. So, which is something I have never done. I have always wanted to do. You know, I read wild and was like, Oh, wouldn't that be lovely <laughs> to go back and be in the woods? And, you know, so maybe someday, maybe someday after it's all done, after all the boxes are checked, then I'll give myself that time. So this is, this has been really, really, really different for me Yeah, to change. It's interesting, I feel like, and super refreshing to talk to someone about something that they're in the middle of, right? Like, this is the kind of thing that I feel like a year from now maybe would be very easy to put a bow on, right? And then this happened, and then I did this, and then all better, or, you know, whatever with those, like, before right. and after stories on the internet. But right. I, I find <laughs> no, it very refreshing, it. right? But, and like, <laughs> but that's real, to be like, okay, everything is in upheaval. I don't, like, this is calling into question so much my identity. I have no answers and no wisdom, but, like, I'm in the woods and my phone's attached to the wall. Okay, here you go. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's what I know today. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, okay, so what are you doing on a day? day-to-day basis like so you said okay I'm gonna go for 30 days like was with just to go and be or like what does that look like yeah it's it's <laughs> I, this is going to sound like little house on the prairie but I swear this is my life right now I my daughter is up here with me and she's in these really really beautiful camps but this year in Big Sur um whether I don't know if you're aware of this but there's huge mudslides and huge huge you know in 
weather problems. So there's a north side and a south side of Big Sur right now that's cut off by a bridge that went down and it has not been rebuilt. So I am on the south side of the bridge and the camp is on the north side. So my day is entailed of waking up, getting her ready to go to camp, taking her down the 15 minute dirt road to get to the trail. Then you cross the trail, which is a half an hour to get her to where my car is to drive her to camp and then back. So it's about a one or two hour point to point, depending on how long the trail is and how slow people are going. And then I come home and I wash my clothes and I put them on a line to dry and I read a book, not my Kindle. And because the internet's shit and Wait, can I say that? Yes, I was. Yeah, I, I forgot to tell you before we started recording. You can say anything you want. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, intercept. Yeah, not. It's not good, but it's good it could, for me because it's so slow that it's like it just makes it an impossibility. And um, I cook and I um, get ready to go get her and then watch the sun go down and um, and been, you know, talking to people that I know here. And there's a lot of people that live on the ranch where I'm at and just getting to know everybody in this very real person to person way, sitting down and having coffee and getting to know them in a way that is, it's, it's weirdly old fashioned and very, um, just it's, there's this realness to it that I've just, I mean, it's just different. It's different than e-meeting people through social media or, or emails or even phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very deeply personal person. When I get to know somebody, you know, I'm getting to know so much about them. But but it's it's different when you're just sitting there having coffee and you walked to their house and you have an hour because there's nothing else to do that day and you can just sit there and chat. That sounds amazing, to be honest. I mean, not not the getting sick and burned out and like what led you there. But I mean, I I can relate to that, too, because I feel like I I have to be sort of like dragged kicking and screaming into moderation, like in anything that and I don't change until basically like the situation gets so bad, like till the pain of not changing, like outweighs whatever the reasons are that I'm not changing. And that's true for me with anything. Mm -hmm. And so I can definitely relate to that, like pendulum from one side to like the other side to then be able to find like something that like sort of in the middle, you know? (laughs) Right, right, right. No, and I'm absolute extremist. So um, this has been, if I wasn't extremely... uh, you know, and I really thought, oh, I'm just going to lay down for a couple weeks or take it easy-ish or I'll just go back to, I'll take off weekends. That was my idea of cutting back. I'll take off weekends. I mean, that's got to help me get better. And then it was just like, not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. And um, and then finally, I'm like, oh, I have to like radically change, really, really radically change and um, and and really rest. And I didn't even, I didn't even know that you couldn't, if you were exhausted, if you just slept a night, I didn't know that that didn't fix it. I thought like one night's sleep or two nights sleep would fix it. This is like months and months and months because of months or years of not sleeping well and not taking care of that aspect. So it's been a learning curve for sure to see, wow, I like taking care of your body is a really, really serious task that I Mm -hmm. just wasn't, wasn't very kind to myself and just kind of soldiered on. What does your daughter think about this new change? She loves it. She loves Big Sur. She loves being here. She loves the fact <laughs> this, 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 if, th- there are things that I have never done in my entire life. I, I used to, I used to 
volunteer in her classroom, but I was never the mom that would be like, yes, I will be there at the bake sale and I will bake something and I will be there and help sell it. Like I had a job and I loved those women and I was grateful for those women, but I was never one of those women. And here I am organizing the bake sale for this camp and, (laughs) you know, which means I have to call everybody on a landline. There's no email going out. There's no texting happening. It's like all very, you know, woman to woman, what are you going to make? And so she's never seen this aspect. She's never seen me work in this way. And, and I don't even think she's seen life like this. She's only seen life as like, my mom is on the internet and she travels a lot. So to see me like organizing, or how many cookies are you bringing? <laughs> it's really different for her. And she loves it. How old is she? 15. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a fun age then, I guess, for you guys to have this time together. It's, it's really fun. And she's, she's, um, you know, she's in music camps and, and, and drama camps right now. So she's having her own her own beautiful time and but she likes she likes this new pace and she loves that I'm I'm more centered and that I'm getting getting better mm-hmm. she was worried so yeah do you have any I mean and it's totally fine if the answer is just no you haven't thought about it yet but what happens after the 30 days like have you given any thought to what sort of moderation or a middle ground would look like or what this means for your that business that is what I think about every day to okay. be honest yeah every day I mean on that trail and by myself I'm not listening to podcasts right now I'm not listening to music at all I'm not reading books uh that are work related or nonfiction. I'm just only reading like poetry and just stuff that's not not bombarding my brain um no every day I'm like what kind of playing the warmer, colder game with myself. Is that, does that feel warmer? Does that feel more um, sustainable? Does that feel like um, it's going to kill you or does that feel like it's going to feed your soul? Um, and, and thinking almost like how much can I take away mm-hmm. and, and, and still have a viable business because I love my work and I, I'm not ready to give up or walk away at all. And I need to, I need to figure out how to have a really sustainable practice that takes care of me as well as mm-hmm. taking it people. So, um, so no, every single day it's like, am I doing a training this, this fall or not? I, I actually don't know yet. I don't know. And every day it's like, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> you know, I just don't know. Do you have, a process, or I don't even know if process is the right word, but I'm always curious about how other people make big decisions. Like, is it just a, you know, go on long walks, like sort of think about things and eventually something comes up? Are you like a pro con list person? Are you like mind map, write it down? Like, what does it look like for you when you're trying to make what is like a big and important choice? Yeah. So a lot of my work centers around the four voices and the four voices are mind, heart, body, soul. And so that decision for these kind of decisions really have to be run through all four voices. So the mind voice is kind of the, oh, you should be doing this because you've always done this. And, um, and this is what people are expecting. And you have this calendar and you've always kept this calendar. And this is what, you know, you should be blogging right now. And you should be, (laughs) the mind is like very active. It's the one that, kind of gets shit done, but it also has, um, all the have tos and shoulds. That's the mind voice. And then the heart voice is really the emotion. Like, what do you love? What, what makes you sad? Are you angry? Are you scared? And like tapping into the emotional part, like, 
what emotionally, what do you want to do? And then body is the one that I'm really tapped into because that's the one that seems to be the, the canary in the coal mine right now for me is Mm -hmm. my mind can override my body. And, but my body has the final say. And, and when I got so sick in Vermont and continued to be so sick, it's like, Oh, I, my mind thinks I can keep going and my body can't. So, so every day it's like, yeah, does that feel, does that make my body feel stronger? When I think about this, when I'm hiking, do I feel strong or do I immediately feel weaker and checking with my body as I, as I kind of weigh things in and out? Um, and, and just like, does it feel heavy in my body when I think about it or does it feel light? Um, and then soul voice is really like spiritually, what, what are you here to do and what is the service and what is your purpose and, and what is this time in your life look like? And, you know, my daughter's 15 right now. I have a couple summers left before she leaves for college. And, and this is perfect timing that we could just come and kind of go off grid and have this time that's really sacred. Um, and, and I'm lucky to be able to, you know, kind of be on this weird island of vi- vacation, but still, you know, I'm teaching on Tuesdays. I have this really skeleton schedule, but I'm still, I'm still working, just not very much. Um, so it's just like, this feels good and I'm okay. And if I added a little bit, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that that description of sort of the the warmer colder that you were giving before. I feel like one of the ways that I often get stuck or get in my own way is sort of believing the untruth that I have to make one concrete finite decision, like the end in every situation. Yes. Like it's that I forget that it's okay to to mostly just I could try stuff, right? How does this feel right. to do this? Or, you know, I don't have to decide, okay, if I'm gonna start doing live events, then I need to do twenty a year and it has you could actually just do one <laughs> and see you know what I mean? Like it's, exactly. it's just and the, the the racing mind that you were describing, like that's I really do keep myself paralyzed by not remembering that it can just oh, well, you, what you said, I teach on Tuesdays and I'm going to add this or I'm going to do, you know, like not to say there aren't right. hard decisions to be made, of course, and, and not everything can just be wake up in the morning and see how I feel, but that not, yeah. that also the other side isn't true, that it doesn't have to be like, this is my 10 point plan for who I'm going to be forever. Yay. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I mean, that's, that's one of the, so one of the big, huge things that I do every year is there are these big trainings and I love them. I love them and they're huge commitments of time and energy and money. And, um, and so that's the thing, like, am I doing it or am I not doing it? And I've got a whole team of teachers that work for me and they're like, you know, emailing me today again, do you have the dates? Are we doing it? Are we not doing it? When, what's our teaching schedule? And I'm like, I don't know. And so kind of taking it all off the board and just go, okay, if I did do it, how could I do it in the way, in a sustainable way? in the most minimalistic way that's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then could I add a little bit more? Could I add a bit or, okay, that doesn't feel good. So yeah, at, on every project I'm working on, really, that's how, that's how it's going. Yeah. And also the conversation with yourself of like sort of getting to the heart of what 
you know, the thing is, if it's a workshop, a program, a book or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then like letting go of all the things that you've told yourself have to be there, right? Like if this is the heart of the thing, like what would it look like if this were simple? What would it look like if this were, I think the word you used was sustainable, right? What would have to be true in order for me to feel awesome about this? And to sort of, I don't know, it's very easy to get boxed into, well, this is the way that it's always been. And these are the seven things that people are expecting. And so I can't do this thing that looks different, but, but why? Like that's not actually true, (laughs) you know? Right, right, right. So though no, and that's that's where I've been in the middle. And honestly, I have always, always been this really quick decision maker. And I, I like on the fly can make quick decisions, and I just go, and I don't ever go back and question it. And and I'm seeing like that's been a really great strength of mine, and that's also what ended me up in in <laughs> physical, you know, turmoil is that um, I wasn't. I I didn't allow myself to go back and say, well, but maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Or what if that was the wrong thing? So, so now it's like really diving deep into, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know when I'm going to know. And I don't know when that decision is going to feel good. And that's, that's really, I I know a lot of people live like that. That's just like, oh my gosh, it, it takes so much faith and trust to just sit there and hope an answer comes. And so this is new for me. Oh, yeah. Anything in like the surrender, like not control freak realm is very hard for me, too. (laughs) Yes. Right. (laughs) I totally understand. So that you were saying, um, you know, anything time sensitive, you might want to. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows if it's time sensitive or not? I don't even know who I'm going to be when I grow up. (laughs) I mean, right. Do we ever know that? So you mentioned before that, you know, starting to get sick while being on um, that retreat that you were co-teaching with Laura McGowan, who was a guest last season, who she is how I know you. And she is just the best, right? We love her. Um, And I am trying to think, I don't know if it was when you were on her podcast or if she mentioned you. It was, was, anyway, I went down the rabbit hole, like really deep of your work. And it was (laughs) so refreshing to hear someone who was willing to actually be honest about money, like not just... I feel like a lot of the conversations that fall under this sort of, I don't know, authenticity, vulnerability umbrella of money are still very surface level. Like, yes. but people aren't willing to be like, dollar sign, amount afterwards, this is what I make, right. this is what I was in debt, this is what I earned, this is how I feel about, you know, like there's like another yes. level of honesty that I think people are really craving. So I was very excited when I found you to say, oh my God, this is a woman who will talk to me about money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I started blogging about money because I was kind of, um, well, nobody read my blog. So it's like, (laughs) I wasn't really worried about the five people reading it. (laughs) Like, well, if I put it up, but I, but I came up speaking the the era of money work that I came up with was Adam Baker and JD Roth and they were both really openly talking numbers and so it was cool it was just like at the right place the right time and I happened to be reading other people that were doing the same thing and I, I was like oh well that's what you do with money but you're you're right I mean there's so many people that write anonymously they don't show their face they don't ever tell numbers and And it's, it's, it's different when you're like, no, this is my name. This is, this is me. Here's my kid. I'm a real person. And I was over half a million dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny with money, sex, food. uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other examples, things that like really do touch like almost every day of people's lives, right? Or actually every day that those tend to be the things that there's the most taboo and shame around. 
Right. Well, shame is so deep and so painful. And, and unfortunately, because there's so much shame, people don't know really what is healthy and what's not healthy. Um, so I have so many clients that, you know, they'll get on the phone with me and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I wish I was here and I wish I was there. like, Oh, you know, if you could hear the other people and you're doing all right, but nobody knows if they're doing all right because they're not talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so no, I like, and I've, I've made all the mistakes. So I'm a professional money mistake maker (laughs) and I'm willing to talk about them. And, and I'm more interested in the psychology and the emotional relationship around money than anything else. And that's where I find that the real magical um, work happens. And then I really, you know, see this uh, almost spirituality in the relationship around money, which it, it's, you know, people really chafe at that uh, if they don't understand what I'm talking about. But it, it can be profoundly um, intimate and sacred what you start to learn about yourself because it's so heavily tied to self-worth, um, what you believe about life, what you believe about faith, um, really is reflected in this idea of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm here for all of it. I want to dig into all of it. Um, <laughs> let's start with, what do you remember about money from your childhood? What was your relationship with money while you were growing up? Yeah. Uh, I was raised by glass blowers in California and my name is Meadow. So you, you know, paint a little picture of some kind of hippie-ish upbringing, um, artists, and very much off-grid um, kind of work. You know, they were making little glass things and selling them at craft shows and stuff. That's how I was raised. So I didn't, um, I didn't have the idea... Um, I was not really exposed to anybody that had money or even really above uh, mid-middle class. Um, and we were not not upper middle class. We, we struggled. My parents struggled. And so I, I grew up believing very much that money was not for me. It was not who I was. It was not where I come from. But also, as a little kid, I like knew that my dad didn't want to get a job, and um, and I was really frustrated with that. Like, if he could just get a job, like we wouldn't be struggling like this. So I was I was really frustrated as a little kid watching. I felt the um, the weight of people that kind of wanted to live this bohemian lifestyle, and I felt like that was very unfair. Hmm. So, um, so I, I came up with a lot of interesting beliefs by watching that, um, you know, your, your parents, whether they're making mistakes or making great choices, either way you're learning good lessons. And, and so a lot of this work ethic that has driven me into the ground has come from having a parent that wouldn't work and being so frustrated with that. It's like, I'm never going to do that. I will never do that. I will work until I die. Like I will work because I will never ever subject my kid to poverty because I, I can't be bothered to go get a job. So, so, I mean, all of this is like full circle back repairing old, old stories, old patterns. And, 
And I told you I'm an extremist. So (laughs) (laughs) I will work all the jobs, all the days, all the hours. (laughs) Well, but I do think that that is, is common to, you know, any hurt or insecurity, you know, from childhood to go whatever the complete opposite that our parents or whoever raised us did, right? Like I'm going to be the complete opposite of that to the extreme. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Right. So how did that play out for you, you know, let's say late teens, early 20s, like as you started working? Oh, my gosh. Early, early teens. So I started babysitting when I was 12. I started buying all my own clothes, all my own things. So that was kind of my freedom. That was that was my gateway is babysitting money. And um, and I, I learned if I wanted things, I had to work. If I wanted to go to college, I had to work. If I wanted any kind of life, if I wanted out of this life, I had to work. So, um, so that's what I did. And by the time I was 16, I had two jobs. Um, I worked a telemarketing job. So did I. You're so funny. This, your story is very reminiscent of mine. Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't know anybody else had a telemarketing job. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> it was the summer before my senior year in high school. Yeah, that was yeah, that was my first real job, and I was good at it. Um, I'm I not could surprised. Imagine, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I could imagine you were good at it too. And here we are, still yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, minus that, mine was a real shady situation that wound up kind of getting shut down by some kind oh, of no. you know oh, no. investigation, was... or they were definitely were doing some shady business practices. But um, oh, it was man, yeah, it was no. good money at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had that, and then I worked for Subway on the weekends. So you know, and babysat. So I was I was always really hard worker, really really good in school, bought my first car myself, put myself through college, um, taught piano through college, um, always, always worked. So, uh, that was, that was kind of where I came from really, really trying to do the opposite. I did not, I did not want to, (laughs) what's so funny is like, uh, later I went to school for uh, physics and chemistry and math. You know, I just wanted to do anything that was not artistic, not bohemian, not anything, um, that was left of center. And here I am, you know, with the most left of center job ever. (laughs) (laughs) Totally like working from Big Sur. (laughs) Oh my gosh, completely like everything that would make my family proud. (laughs) Now I'm doing. (laughs) That's hilarious. So, so one of the things that I know that you have talked openly about is the debt that you mentioned before. So tell me that story, the process of getting into that kind of debt. Yeah. So, so I worked, put myself through school, and in my early 20s, um, I, I think really my very first loan might have been my second car loan. My first car I paid for cash, and then it, it died a couple years um, later. So I was like first year college and needed a car because I had jobs and, and things and um, asked my grandma to co-sign and it was like a used cheap car, but I didn't have enough money for it. But so that was, that was my first drink of debt and had, you know, started building credit like a good American at that point. Um, and then that snowballed a little bit when I moved and I got, um, I, I moved to Tahoe and finished my degree up in Tahoe and, um, had a little bit of school debt, but I was mostly on scholarship. So I think I all told ended up with $11,000 of school debt. Um, so that was kind of the next thing. And then, um, I, you know, Macy's card maybe came after that. It was just little by little by little. And then 
totally freaked me out. By the time I was 27, I think I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't have debt at all. This is horrible. And I, I, I wiped it all out and I didn't like the feeling of it. And then, um, you know, that was like right before the dot-com boom. So, um, I, all my friends were buying houses and houses were still relatively cheap, 1998. And I bought my first house in 98 and that, um, and then ended up doubling my money in two years and buying another one. So that's, that's, and then that had an equity line to pull out money so I could buy another house and kind of started doing that thing as well as I had a conservatory, a music conservatory, big business and needed, uh, I had an equity line on there, a business loan on that and cash lines if I needed it. So it started to get more complicated. I had business stuff. I had real estate stuff going on. I still had Macy's. I always had Macy's and, um, and then credit cards and it was never, it never seemed unmanageable. It never seemed, I never got to that point that I did in like 97, 96, where I'm like, oh, I got to pay this all off. This is crazy. It just seemed like, oh no, this is how life works. This is how life works. You buy houses, you have payments and I could pay the payments. And that's all I ever saw was like, I can afford these payments. Um, and so that continued and buying and selling property or, so was, at certain points I had, one house, sometimes I had two houses, sometimes I had two equity lines on both, you know, each house. So a mortgage and an equity line, and then another mortgage and an equity line. So it started getting complicated in that way, but the real estate market was still booming. Everything was great. My business was going great. The student loans were all paid off. You know, all of that was fine. It just seemed like the American dream. This is how you make it happen. You invest in your business, you invest in real estate. This is what you do as a, a grown up, And, um, and that kept working until, um, 2007, my marriage was failing and we tried to do the, we're going to move somewhere and downsize and get rid of all this headache and the big house and all these bills and like let's downsize and try to save the marriage. So we downsized except that one of our houses didn't sell. <laughs> so now we had a house where we didn't live and a new house, two houses where we did live. So we had three houses at that point in time trying to minimize our life um, uh, and, and try to repair this marriage. And that was that's when this, the market started tanking. And then by January of 2009 is when I filed for divorce and uh, $563,000 in debt because you have to state your assets and debts. And, you know, that was like right in the beginning of when people were getting divorced and splitting debt because before that people were splitting assets. And so it was like, what are your properties and what are the debts and, and, and having to go to court and really like try to try to not incur all the debt. So that's, so it happened not, I can't say necessarily that it was irresponsible. It was in line with the times. I, I, we never had like an arm loan. We never had like one of those high risk loans. It was, it was all how real estate works. It just happened that at the point that I 
if, if we had stayed together another 10 years, we might have weathered all that because we wouldn't have had to liquidate everything. But getting a divorce required us to liquidate and required us to liquidate at way under what we had paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that most of it was real estate related, like you're saying, it wasn't, uh, I mean, I get you said, you know, Macy's, that kind of stuff. So it was some consumer yeah. debt, but not mostly. Yeah. I mean, it was so, so that's, yeah, that's where it was in January. And so it was mostly real estate debt, some business debt. I had sold my business in Tahoe. We had moved back to San Luis Obispo County, um, in California. And, and it was, it was all looking good if the house would have sold. And if, um, I continued doing all right with my job and I was a coach by then I had been on Oprah. So I had this really boosted, um, you know, clientele. I was busy, really, really busy. And, um, and then 2009 hit, I filed for divorce. Um, life coaches that are not happy don't make a lot of money. I did not know that. <laughs> just, just for future reference, if you want to call yourself a life coach, kind of need to be together-ish. And, and I wasn't. Um, and so I, I'm very grateful that I actually didn't have very many clients in 2009 because I had no business talking to people at that point. My, my life had kind of melted down and I was really, really grieving my marriage and also really grieving this entire life that had kind of melted down around me. So at that point in time, I was supposed to, cause I had sold my conservatory and I was supposed to get this balloon payment at the end of that year and everything was going to be okay. So that's when I'm like, I don't have any money. I'm not getting paid. I don't have any clients right now. I'm just going to put shit on a credit card because later this year I'm going to get a hundred and something thousand dollars. It's no big deal. And I'll just pay that all back off but I've got to get through this divorce. I've got to get like a house set up and I've got a little girl to worry about. She was really little at that point in time. Um, so, uh, that's what I did. So that's where the credit cards came in because I lived on credit cards very, very, um, irresponsibly lived on credit cards because I thought I was going to get this payment. And then the guy went bankrupt later that summer. So I'd spent nine months. I went to Europe. I bought a Gucci dress. I mean, I did really dumb things thinking, no big deal. I'll have the money later this year. And guess what? I didn't get the money later that year. So, so all the houses were upside down. We had to get out of all those mortgages. I lived on credit cards and, and then somebody went bankrupt. So it was really, and I was making no money at my job completely like $35,000 that year is what I made. So, um, so that was the perfect storm that really brought me to my knees of like, okay, in my mind, in my story, I really felt like I did all the right things. Like I was a good student. I, <laughs> I am a good person. Why is this happening? I, I never paid a bill late. Like I just never, like, why, why is this happening? So, and I thought there's got to be, whatever this is, whatever took me here, I missed the mark so badly. Other people must have as well. And, um, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And because I was in coaching, I was horrified and, and so, um, talk about shame, so ashamed, so ashamed. Like before that, I was teaching classes on how to make six figures and how to be successful and how to be like, wow. And um, like, oh my God, I, like, I don't even know how I'm going to feed my kid right now. I don't even know. Like if, if people actually knew what was happening to me, I would 
I would be devastated. And then, so I thought, okay, so either you quit completely or you start telling the truth. And that's, that's when I started blogging and, and started telling the truth about what was going on with me financially. So yeah, the big chunk of it was, was real estate, but because of that last seven months of really fun times on my United mileage card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I th- there was also a good amount of credit card debt there. <laughs> the thing that um, resonates with me the most from what you're saying is, I don't know, sort of this like, the lies that we're told about debt, right? Like even just hearing what you're saying about, you know, I I did everything right. And it's not that I was irresponsible with real estate. This was just like, you know, quote, what you did or what people did. I I honestly feel very similarly about student loans that I think. Oh my God, me too. It's, I, I mean, uh, in hindsight, this could be. And it makes me so, and now I'm just like up on my soapbox, like don't drink the Kool-Aid people. (laughs) Yeah. It's because on one hand, like, sure. I mean, first of all, college is way too expensive. That's another thing, but that it's, it's great that being able to take out loans is an option, you know, because of course not everyone can afford that. I certainly couldn't. I paid my way through also and got a lot of scholarships, graduated early and still had $50,000 in student loan debt. Granted, I made a bad choice and went to one of the most expensive schools in the country, which I didn't have to do. But when you're 18 and someone puts this paper in front of you and is like, sign here, it feels like monopoly money. Like I just felt like, oh, okay, sure. Like future me will deal with this. And I remember the day that I paid off my student loans, it was like the best day of my life. Just because kind of what you said about getting to that point of being so uncomfortable. Like I'm very uncomfortable with debt. And it just, even now, like having a mortgage, it's funny, you know, my husband really wanted to buy a house and it's fine, but I never would have made that choice on my own. Like I just, and whether that's rational or not, I don't know, but it's the the student loan thing that I just thought, man, how much more money would I have or how different, like what sort of different decisions could I have made if I wasn't paying, you know, this much money that it was just, it's so normal. Like that's what people do. You just sign on this dotted line and like take all of this free money. That's of course not free, you know? Well, and that, that's the thing. And that's, that's why in my classes, I, I drill this idea of like, I would, I want you to consider paying with cash, just consider it because it changes what you do so much, even to this day. And I've been teaching this a long time. Still, what I would do if it was a loan is really different than what I would do with cash. It just, it is, you, you have different behavior when it's not your money. Mm-hmm. So no, I agree with the student loans. They're predatory. They, and this is a really unique time in history because X-Gen, X-Gen parents are getting ready to send their kids to college and they are still not out of student loan debt. And that's never happened before in our economy. Hmm where a, their children are going to college and the parent still hasn't paid for their college yet. Wow. And that's, that's, yeah. that's not good. That's not good as an economy goes. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole thing about, you know, what we were told, go to college and get a job. It doesn't work that way anymore. Right. You don't have a job waiting for you at the end of that. So you're going into debt with no promise really at the end. Well, I mean, and I went into so much debt for essentially like a liberal arts education, which like it was, I mean, it was fine. It was, I mean, it was fun, I guess. And like, sure, I learned (laughs) stuff, I guess. But first of all, I mean, I have had, I've never had a traditional job. So that's another set of choices that I made, but it it wasn't like it was like this hardcore specified training for something, right? Like I paid so much money 
like I don't know to have people like help me read books I don't know whatever anyway that this could be like I'm like sound more cynical I think than I mean but so dialing it back going back you when you were saying that you know after those seven months and then that that big payment didn't come in and that was the moment that really brought you to your knees so when you get to that moment then what like what when you were like okay something has to change like what did you specifically like what did you actually do yeah so I mean I was this sounds really weird to anybody that has a relatively um, healthy relationship to money. But with me and other people that I've worked with that do not have a healthy relationship with money, the idea of a mortgage meant that I actually owed that money hadn't really occurred to me. All I looked at was really like how much down and how much monthly. Like that's what I knew. And it, it never really occurred to me, oh, $420,000 is what I will have to cough up to a bank because they fronted me that money. Even if my house is only worth 280 now, I still Mm -hmm. have to pay them 420,000. Like it, that is obvious and logical math. And, and I do have that part of my brain that works, but it just hadn't really occurred to me. So so when it was all told, we, we had to still cough up a lot of money just to get out of our, our, um, our properties. So we did not sell them above paying price and, and all the money that we had made and had sunk into our payment, our, our properties was completely evaporated. So, um, so I, I had loans, uh, personal loans that people had lent money so that I could get out from underneath those properties because they were losing money so fast and we needed to get a divorce and all that needed to be taken care of. So, um, so I had this overwhelming amount of debt to deal with, no income whatsoever, dealing with divorce and, um, and the almost the, it's almost like life became in a technicolor. Like everything got very, very real. (laughs) Oh, oh, this is what it means when you owe money. And, and it was the worst feeling of like, oh, it wasn't ever the payment. And it wasn't ever whether for you could afford those payments. It wasn't the stupid Gucci dress that is laying on your bed right now that you can't even afford to go out and eat, <laughs> let alone wear that dress. You know, it was just like looking around going, what have you been doing? Um, and so I, um, I just, I got very radical. I had a friend that had gotten out of debt and she turned me on to Dave Ramsey and I listened to some of his stuff and his whole thing is the debt snowball. And so I sat down and wrote out all my debts and I was so afraid to put those numbers on paper and look at them. Like everything I kind of help people go through now, I, I had to do myself and, um, you know, um, just like any emotional child, I didn't, I didn't want to have to pay it back. It's like, I, it's not my fault that freaking economy tanked. It's not my fault that my properties couldn't sell. It's not my fault. Like one of the condos, um, they had changed the loan structures so that that condo people couldn't get a loan for anymore. Um, like that's not my fault. That's the economy's fault. That's whatever government's fault. And so I really had to, pull myself out of that and go, 
what if it is your fault? Where's, where is your responsibility? Where is your piece of the responsibility here? So that took a few months. I really, really hung out in that wounded, victim-y, martyr-y place for a while. <laughs> totally. Well, but I mean, I think fault and responsibility aren't necessarily the same thing. Like, it can be true that it's not your fault, but that doesn't mean that it's not your responsibility. Right. 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 So, so in, in a very weird way, when I had this unsecured loan on my business and he, he was very kind and said, you know, I'm going bankrupt. And he called me and let me know. And he didn't have to, and he let me know ahead of time. And, um, he was, um, he, he owed me a lot of money and he said, is there anything that I can pay you that would would actually make any difference to you? I'm like, yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> that would make a difference. That is what I would like you to pay. But but um, but because of that exchange, and he actually uh, he paid me just a tiny tiny bit, and but that paid off my lowest thing that I owed, and and it was like okay. When I don't pay somebody, like he didn't pay me, it really hurt me that he did that. And, and it really brought home this idea of like, oh no, bankruptcy is not an option. Like you hurt people that, you know, it's, it, you hurt yourself too, but it, it really, I, I just, I got this whole lesson how this all works because like, oh yeah, when you don't get paid back for your loan, that, that really sucks, doesn't it? And if you don't pay other people back, that sucks for them. So, so it was, um, it was a good education. And, uh, so that's, what I started with is that snowball method, which is you list all of your debts in largest to smallest, and you start paying off the smallest one first. I radically downsized everything I could. Um, I sold everything I could. I sold that Gucci dress. I sold furniture I had on eBay. I sold stuff on Craigslist. I sold my TV. I sold jewelry, my old wedding ring, like all of it, just everything I could get um, sold, put all of that money to debt. Uh, I did not go out at all. My daughter knew completely what was going on. I think she was eight or nine at that point. And, um, said until we're out of debt, like this is, we are like beans and rice and, and cheese. And that's, that's what we're going to live on. And she was happy about that. Cause she likes that. And I got a tenant. Um, I had a rental at that point and the front house I lived in and the back house I rented out cause that was going to, that was my office before that, but I rented it out, moved my office into my bedroom and, um, and got two other jobs. And so worked three jobs and, and for two years did that. And it's actually amazing how quickly you can pay off debt when you're actually serious about it. Yeah. The, I mean, and there's the level of being serious about it, right? Like we were just saying, like sold everything, rented out, like basically it's interesting. I mean, and obviously we're talking about this through the context or the, like the lens of money, but I think it's true about anything that like when you're willing to actually be committed and not, not making excuses or not hedging or, you know, like there's, there's only been a couple of times in my life when I'm like, I am going actually all in on whatever this thing is and that that's not the same as any watered down version of the alternative and and I'm not gonna be one of those people that says oh you have to do that and you know go big or go like whatever there's lots of different ways to live life and sometimes that's not the answer but for those few things if you really are willing to be like putting everything towards this so much opens up yeah yeah so 
So, and, and before it's like, I had always made payments. Of course I always made payments. That's what I did because I was responsible, but, um, that's so different than paying down debt because when you don't, when you don't, when you're not accruing debt anymore and you completely cut yourself off from that, there's just so many ways that we lie to ourselves financially when we're still using credit cards and we're, Oh no, we're paying it off. I'm sticking a hundred bucks here and it's a hundred bucks there. No, cut your, cut yourself off from credit completely. And then every extra dime goes to this, but it is, it's a decision to be debt free. And what I find, and before for me, I didn't see that there was a life. I, I didn't, I didn't even question that life could be debt free. I really thought like debt was just a thing you had forever. Like, it's, it's not, it's, it's not possible to be debt free. Um, and so, and that's, I come up a lot with that, with students of like, I just considered I would always have a student loan and a house and a car loan, you know, I, I'll just always have debt. It's like, no, actually you don't have to live like that. Yeah. There's, I mean, obviously it's of course going against the mainstream, which is sometimes easier said than done, but there's something to be said for, I think just looking at what's sort of the fundamental belief system around what I'm saying and is that even like unequivocally true? And usually I'd say the answer is no, right? That like kind of pulling the thread of who benefits if I continue to believe that, you know, this is just how I'm supposed to live with all this debt, right? Like, okay, well, it's not me. It's the people that are making all this money on our like crazy, like patriarchal capitalist society, whatever that. And of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's so much that, that, that I could say about this, but just even that, which sounds simple, you know, this idea that you're saying of just question this belief, mm-hmm is everything because that belief underpins then all of our behaviors because if you just yes. this is honestly I can relate it a lot this is how I felt with quitting drinking and getting sober was which I I, I know yes. is something I wanted to talk to you about as well but that yes. I just I didn't feel that the way like my behaviors around alcohol were anything you know, that bad because I saw it mirrored in so many people around me, right? It's like why the comparison game doesn't work. Like it doesn't really matter if you're in more or less debt than someone else or if you're drinking more or less than like these five people, that doesn't necessarily mean that what those five people are doing is not self-destructive also, right? That it's like having a question just because everyone handles stress with alcohol or partying with alcohol, you know, what my life was at the time doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. Right. No, it is. It's these socialized beliefs of toxicity that we're kind of just uh, numb to, you know, over time you just get numb to it. And debt definitely is one of those. Like, like you said, student loan debt, credit card debt, having a car loan, like uh, having a mortgage. I mean, people don't even question, is that actually a financially sound decision? You know, they think, of course it is. That's like what you do. Yeah, but so. just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean, yeah, totally. Doesn't so mean just that, that process you. of questioning it, which can feel like very, I don't know, destabilizing, or at least it did for me to be like, wait, what do, what, what do you mean that this these things that I have been told and believed my entire life like might not actually be true? Like even that, there's like some emotional stuff that comes with that. There's a lot of emotional stuff because you're the outlier at that point. I mean, even when I was trying to decide whether or not to homeschool my daughter during junior high, those kind of things when you're going against what's the society norms you're you're out there on the edge by yourself going oh gosh i'm like if if this is bad i i am i am completely responsible for this all alone out there on the edge but like 
you know, if junior high is bad for her, at least she's in with all the other kids having a bad experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's not all on me that I made this decision with her life. So no, I think there's a lot of places, alcohol, definitely any kind of recovery, I think definitely can be like that. So then after the debt was paid off, which obviously that's a monumental accomplishment, you know, in itself, how did you start to build a different relationship with money or different behaviors or to basically make sure like, okay, I'm not going to get into that situation again. Like, what did that look like for you? Well, the coming to terms with the fact that I wanted to pay off debt really turns your relationship with money inside out. Just the decision. I mean, just like deciding to drink and not to drink anymore is a completely different decision. And that like so much has to happen going into that. And then continuing to not drink is its own problem, right? But the decision, the decision to get out of debt is like the decision to become sober. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it takes a lot of work to get to that crossroad. Um, so I got to that crossroad and there were things along the whole process of getting out of debt was really what taught me everything about, you know, how I believe now. Um, so I, I would say there was a couple things that really stood out um, and, and taught me, Oh, this, this is where I went wrong before. One of them was, um, I was, I was, I was kind of on the fence. I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to get out of debt yet. Cause I was still like using my card and I knew he was going bang. You know, it was all during that bad, that bad time, but I wasn't, I hadn't come to terms with, yes, this is what I'm doing it. And I'm cutting off all the cards and they're going to be out of my purse. So I was, um, somewhere in, in San Luis Obispo County in the summertime, it's cold at the beach, like really cold or, you know, high fifties. And, um, and I had forgotten and it was foggy and, and really chilly. And there was, um, there's like one of those outlet malls there which is something that I wouldn't shop at normally. And the only place that I can even bring myself to go into was this Ralph Lauren place. And, um, which is not how I dress. <laughs> I'm like jeans and a t-shirt. I'm not preppy. I don't, I don't have a little polo thing on my clothes. It's just not, it's not my style, but that's what was open. And I bought this yellow sweater, which is also very not my style. It was like lemon yellow sweater for 45 bucks. And I'm like, whatever, that'll keep me warm. And went about my day, got home and, um, and I used it that night because I was cold. And I got home that night and looked at the sweater and I'm like, oh my God, I don't like you. <laughs> You're <laughs> ugly. <laughs> why do I have you? And why are you in my house? And I didn't even look at how much I paid for it. And so I looked at the receipt. I'm like, oh my gosh, 45 bucks. Like, that's like food for a week at that point for us. Like, we were on nothing. What am I doing? I was spending 45 bucks on a sweater I don't like. So I went back that next day and um, returned it. And they gave me cash because their credit card machine was broken. And I actually saw two 20s and dollars and change that they gave me back. And it was like, oh, that is money. Like I spent money. I know this sounds so weird, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Connections. It was like, oh, it's money that I'm like real actual dollars that I'm spending on stupid stuff that I don't even want. Like that has to stop. So, so that was a real big turning point. Like no more, 
Not ever again will you buy something and keep it just because you're too lazy to take it back. Not ever will you buy something because you were too lazy to pack it in the first place. Like, nope, no more. No more fixes with a credit card. Uh, so that, that was, that was a major turning point. And then I think the day that I sold my Gucci dress, which was like three grand when I bought it, I was completely drunk on tequila when I bought it with my girlfriends who have, um, trust funds and tons of money. And I was trying to keep up with them and be as cool as them, put it on a credit card. And I mean, I live in a beach town, like Gucci dresses are just not part of my world, but I wanted to be cool. And that's embarrassing, but that's where I was. And um, I wore it one time. It got red wine spilled on it by a drunk person at a wedding, and it was ruined. And I wore it once. But um, I had it cleaned and, and showed where the red wine stain was, and I sold it for $300 on on eBay. And just to think, like, I wore something one time, and it cost me $2,700. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like, my wedding dress was $300, you know? So, like, I'm just not, like, I I was just completely not being myself, not really in line with my values. So those, those two things, which is funny because they're both closed, but those were both these really tangible things that I could see, oh, this was a really irresponsible, not connected, not very conscious. And then also the Gucci thing was definitely like trying to be somebody I'm not. Mm-hmm. And using money to do that or fake money to do that. Yeah, I don't think it sounds silly at all to be like to have returned the sweater and be like, oh, wait, this is actual actual dollars. Because I mean, on one hand, of course, it sounds silly. Because like, what do we think? Of course, like you, you buy stuff with money. But that's the disconnect, I think, yeah. that gets yeah. into. I even feel um, for me, it was, you know, it was always student loan debt, um, yeah. not credit card debt, anything like that. But even right, if still, you see a stack of $50,000, actually look at that when you sign that paper to really see how many dollars are there. I mean, that that's different, right? Than yeah. just signing your name to like, what is it? 20,000 a quarter or whatever I'm paying. Yeah. I mean, and even, but even not having had, you know, carried big balances on credit cards, that kind of thing. I still think about the way that I use credit card. It does still feel like, if I'm buying something that like doesn't necessarily totally fit into like the monthly budget or whatever, yeah. like I'll just figure this out later. Right. And like, yeah. I always have figured it out later and it, they're not, you know, huge ticket items, but it's still like a, th- it's like a disconnection. It's like a yes. sort of get out of jail free card that even if you're using it, like, you know, quote unquote responsibly, whatever that is, like whatever we're told, build your credit score, do this stuff, right. That yeah. if I'm a responsible credit card user, it still like divorces you from the fact that like, this is actual money that right. like could be right. used for other things. Or like, eventually you do have to pay this off or yeah, I don't know that it's, well, so- I mean, you think about Vegas, Vegas, you're not putting down dollars. They know. Yeah. They know it's different. You cash in dollars, you get chips, you play with chips because you're different. I've never thought about that. <laughs> you're totally right. So yeah. Funny. I mean, it's, it's psychology. It's the weirdest thing because it, it, it represents something, but what's so weird about money is money is a representation of something. So it's like, so now money is already a representation and now we have these now credit cards are a representation, chips are a re- representation, um, bitcoins are a representation, like you get further and further away. So it's like a representation of a representation of a representation, you know, it's like how many points removed are you from it actually you having a relationship to the money itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh... I mean, there's so many different things that I want to ask you about this, but I want to go back to something that you said earlier about money and sort of spirituality. Like if you you say money is a spiritual practice, what does that mean? 
Yeah. So I, um, I do see that your relationship with money is the, is a really intimate doorway into your spirituality. And, and why I say this is, and, and I have witnessed this and I, I work with people all the time, hire me, come to my classes, whatever. And, um, it, and it, it's, it's the running joke is like, Oh wait, I thought I hired you to, to talk about money. Why are we talking about my mom? Why are we talking about my marriage? Why are we, <laughs> why are we talking about my weight? You know, it's like, Oh, because it's everything. It's everything because how much money you allow yourself to have is very representative, very representative of how you value yourself. And one of the ways that I, this is where I had been wrong before that I didn't understand about my relationship with money was I was pulling in all kinds of cash. I was great at my job. I was doing great. And I was also spending just as much. So really, if you look at the end of the year, what I was worth was nothing more. I was, you know, and what I was telling myself I was worth is really nothing. So if I made $300,000 that year and spent $330,000, I was actually coming out negative. And that happened a lot, you know, between buying houses or whatever. Um, so so the, this intimate idea of self-worth and what, how do you value yourself um, is really interesting and Money tells the truth about what you actually believe around these things. Hmm. Okay, so will you talk a little bit more about that? You know, your mm-hmm. experience of, you know, let's say making $300,000, spending three hundred thirty. Yeah. What's the why there? Like, why were you not letting yourself, uh, you know, sort of amass wealth or keep the money or how, whatever kind of terms you want to use? Oh, I didn't think I was worth it. I was still the poor girl from the other side of the track that I, I didn't, I wasn't worth it. And this is still to this day, really, really hard work for me. Mm-hmm. really hard work to allow myself to be paid what I'm worth to allow myself to keep the money, um, to allow myself to ask for being paid. So, so I have all these tricky ways of not being paid. <laughs> I'm very good at not being paid. Um, and it's, it's all self-worth stuff that comes up for me. So either I wouldn't ask people to pay me, I'd overwork, over deliver, Um, you know, so, oh, if you hire me for an hour, I'm going to work two. So, because I really want you to like me. And so that's why I call the please like me discount. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so brilliant. The please like me discount. Uh, You're like speaking to my soul. Continue. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I'll work extra. I'll show up early. I'll, I'll wash your floors (laughs) and I'll coach you at the same time. You know, it's like, just, just like me. And, and that's what was going on. And it's going, it's still to this day, the work that I have to do is like, you're enough. You know, you're enough. You don't have to, the, the service you provide is enough. You don't have to keep killing yourself, you know, and, and, and you working harder isn't better for people sometimes. In fact, it really freaks clients out when you're just like, so let's just keep talking. <laughs> let's just talk about your money for eight hours. No, how about they want to hang up? So, um, so there's, there's, there's that, but I mean, I would say, what is really, and people really trip out about this, is, is a lot of times their relationship with money almost is identical to their relationship or their beliefs around romantic love. Okay, tell me, tell me all about this. What? Question mark, question mark. What? Do you, what? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I know so many single girls that um, 
uh, are readily available, uh, are, you know, the, he's just not that into you kind of idea. And mm-hmm. they're like, hi, I love you. I'll text you. Text me. I love you. Call me back. Woo. You know, and, and that's how they are with money too. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'm, I'll work for free. Yeah, I'll come. I'll stay. Yes, I'll fly there. Yes, I'll write for you. Yes, I'll do this. And it's like, yeah, let the guy work a little for you. Let them, you know, you're worth more, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a worth issue. So, so it's interesting that you'll see this in, in women in particular, where um, if they have self-worth issues, sometimes they can be that kind of needy girlfriend, but they t- treat money in the same way. That's so interesting. Oh, okay. So this brings up something that um, I think it was on your blog uh, as I was going down the, you know, the deep rabbit hole of all the things you've ever written and done. No big deal. <laughs> um, you said something that I wrote down that I thought was really interesting. You said, I decided to write about how my dysfunctional relationship with money mirrored my dysfunctional relationships with men, my family of origin and myself. And I yes. feel like, yeah. So I'm not, my question, I, it's funny when I wrote that down on piece of paper, I was like, tell me more exclamation points. <laughs> Yeah. So, so my dysfunctional relationship with men was really all about, if you don't want me, then I will try very, very hard to prove my worth to you. I will work harder to show you. And that, that comes from my family of origin. Oh, you don't want me. You wish you didn't have me. You wish I wasn't your kid. If I work harder, if I bring you money, if I give you gifts, if I, if I make myself an absolute asset and no liability to you, maybe I can convince you that I'm lovable. Ooh, that's real. It's horrible and painful. Mm, yeah. And I did that with money too. It's like, and money, I mean, through work. So, so yeah, I'm uh, in January coming to this grinding halt because I'm so sick. And guess what? I have no fucking money <laughs> again because I have overworked myself, paid everybody, um, given it all away, made sure everybody else around me is taken care of, made sure the clients are happy, not charging enough money, you know? And at the end of the day, I'm like in the same stupid place. I'm like, seriously, Meadow, like, when is this going to stop? When are you going, when are you going to learn how to get paid? Mm-hmm. And like plenty of money is coming in and you are, you are the one keeping it from yourself. So what are you doing? Yeah, I, I had this realization sometime, I think it was earlier this year. I mean, I, I think about money all the time, especially as it relates to, you know, what I learned from my family about money and you mm-hmm. know the sort of like very, very short version. They had a lot of money and then made a lot of bad choices and then filed for bankruptcy. And it was basically sort of like the not to be dramatic, but like the, the like bring down of the family, right? It was this huge issue. Right. And the thing I realized earlier this year that, uh, sort of belief or a thing that's been holding me back or that I have sort of taken from that situation was, you know, in my mind, it was, they had all of this money and things were great, but you shouldn't ever have a lot of money because then you can lose it and it'll ruin your life. Right. And so I felt right. That was my sort of, I realized that I had never let myself have a lot of money. I mean, and I guess a lot is relevant, right? Like however you define that, but because then it becomes something to like manage and lose. And if you lose it, it's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your family. Something's going to happen. Like, and that's, that was definitely something for me. Did you also, were you also, um, a little bit afraid of being really, really in love because you'd lose that? Um, 
because that's how it starts to parallel people. I don't know that I've ever thought about it in that way. So, but I I wouldn't say no. (laughs) Like, so uh, yeah, I I definitely don't think you're wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's so fascinating. Cause here you have this story of like, don't get too much cause you can lose it. And, 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 and you might look at what did I also believe about romantic, like not go in too much, not fall in love too deeply. Maybe okay. Just, you know, it's <laughs> like, I just had like a therapy session awakening in my brain right now when you said that. <laughs> so I think for me, it was more manifesting. I mean, yeah. Oh my God, this is so good. Okay. So it wasn't ever a conscious thought, like right, I'm afraid right. to be too in love. Or, but if I look at sort of the power dynamics of a lot of the relationships that I had, it was either like I, you know, people who were younger than me, or I wanted to have all of the power and control, yes. right? So, yes. like, because exactly yes. what you're saying, or yes. in a situation where that wasn't the case, then I would like self destruct it. Yes. Like, how yes. can I? How can I ruin this? I'm going to cheat on this person. I'm going to do that. Like, what can I do to basically like implode this before it? Yeah. Before oh, yeah. I get Look into at you deep. and you're extremely wise. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, and so, and then that's also par- uh, paralleling the childhood dysfunction, right? Because then you have this bankruptcy and the, the breakdown of the family and all that. So I, that's what I think is so crazy about money. I have not met a single person that their money story isn't directly linked to their love story, their God story and their childhood. It's, it's wild. It's amazing and so interesting to me. So when you started waking up to this for yourself, right, and sort of the truth Mm -hmm. of this dysfunction, because everything that you're saying makes complete sense. And obviously, I just had my own little mini awakening that I'm going to be thinking of for much longer than this conversation. (laughs) But (laughs) that like the question is that like, then what? Right. So like you wake up to the fact that this is true and that this is all related. Okay, so then what do you do? So that's that's where and, and I'm still in it of like. Are you going to learn how to allow yourself to have abundance? Are you going to allow yourself to be loved? Are you going to allow yourself to trust and have faith that you are worthy and that you belong in this world without having to hustle mm. anymore? Mm-hmm. And, and that's my daily, you know, when I said I'm like hanging up clothes on, <laughs> on the line and having this like little house in the rear experience, you know, but that's what, that's what's really internally going on with me is like the control freak in me wants to go perform and wants to go work hard so that the world will love me. And right now I'm not allowed to do that. So, so I have to come up against that and no one's going to love me because I'm not doing it. You know, I'm invisible and I'm back here and I'm not, I'm not an asset anymore. Maybe I'm just a liability and am I still lovable in that? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So first full circle to the beginning of the conversation of yeah. like, this is what, where I'm at. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's also a misconception with some of this stuff that, uh, you reach this like finish line where everything's solved. Not to say we can't grow and evolve. Like, of course we yeah. can, but I think the things that we're talking about, they're our most deeply rooted things. So yeah. it's not surprising. Like sometimes I'll just like laugh at myself where something comes up and I'm like, really this again? I'm like, well, yeah, of course yeah. this again, because like, didn't yeah. I already move past this? No, like things don't ever really get solved. And I don't like that right. that's true, but it's true. Well, and with money, you have income and you have expenses. And so both of those are psychologically monitored and spiritually monitored. Like you are energetically playing around with both of those ways. So so what's interesting is like if you look at my 2008 numbers, it was like something around $330,000 is what I brought in or $300,000 and, and spent $330,000. 2009, what I brought in was $35,000, right? <laughs> Drastically different but I kept 17,000 of it. 
So, so bizarrely, because I was not spending the money, it was like I psychically had to make sure the income wasn't coming in because I couldn't handle it. I didn't. Mm. And and, and all the time I'm working with these people and they, they explain it in different ways. Like having money is pressure. I have to offload it. I have to get rid of it. Um, I've worked with lottery winners. Same thing. It's like this pressure starts to build up in them and it is the pressure of, of this idea about yourself. Am I one of these people? Can I, am I do, am I worthy of this? And when they feel unworthy, you know, whether they got an inheritance or whatever, they offload it quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so you might be spending to offset and to bring that worth back down. You might just be under earning to offset it. You might be overworking to offset it. Like I was, um, or I was doing all of the things. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's, it's really, really interesting how, how we, how we play around with this energy called money, really. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any sort of first steps for people that want to improve their relationship with money? Like, is there a place where you're like, here's a really good way to start? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a six week um, course that you can do on your own uh, that really helps you. The basic idea is to get really clear about how you feel when you spend and how you feel when you are earning. And that sounds like, what does that have to do with anything? But that is, that's the entire basis of everything I teach is that the lack of consciousness around our spending, meaning, are you in a bad mood? Do you like spending this money? How do you feel when you pay that toll, when you cross that bridge? How are you paying, you know, how do you feel when you pay for the subway? How do you feel when you go to the grocery store? How do you feel when you buy stamps? I mean, these how do you feel when you put gas in your car? These things that we all pay for all the time that we're actually begrudgingly pissed about. And um, it's really amazing what starts to happen just by paying attention. Oh my God, I feel scared all the time. Every time I spend money, I feel scared. Like that, that's what brings the revolution inside huh. uh, is, is to get really, really clear about what you're thinking about. So like, for instance, what was the last thing you paid money for? What was the last thing that I paid money for? Um, I booked on Airbnb. I'm going to London next month. So, um, I'm placed to stay. Okay. Well, that's a fun, big purchase. And on a scale of negative 10 being the worst feeling about it or positive 10 being the best feeling about it, where are you? I, I mean, I guess eight or nine. Good. Perfect. (laughs) Excellent. Um, so, and that's kind of where you want to be on all purchases. And so, and it's, it's just an arbitrary number. You just pick a number that's called, it's the abundance scale. There's a blog post that I did on this. You, and uh, actually uh, a podcast that I did on the abundance scale as well, where you just pick an arbitrary number between negative 10 and 10. And you like, how did I feel? Um, and, and the ones I really, really advise looking at are the ones that are constant, like groceries, gas, mm-hmm. if you have toll charges, if you have taxi charge, whatever those almost daily, that Starbucks that you buy every single day because you're running late, whatever it is, look at that. And how do you actually feel? Mm-hmm. Really get real about how do you feel? So people will be like, oh no, I felt, I felt totally great going to McDonald's with my kid because we didn't have time to pack a lunch that morning. Like 
how, tell me how that felt great. <laughs> I, you got to walk me through how that felt great because I'm pretty sure that didn't feel great. I've worked yeah. with a lot of people. I know their stories. That's, that one's not a great story. So let's, let's look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of everyday purchases. I feel like mm -hmm. the, it's, it's something that, um, my husband and I try to do, we go grocery shopping together on Monday mornings mm -hmm. is, you know, instead of, oh my God, everything's so expensive or whatever, like having mm -hmm. that moment of like, look at all, aren't we grateful? Like all this great food that, you know, like just trying to turn yeah. things into gratitude, which is, is helpful. But the underlying emotion, like you mentioned, putting gas in the car, like all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I think I honestly just feel angry most of the time because I feel like everything's so expensive <laughs> and like I have so much privilege and like, what are people doing that don't have this kind of privilege? And right? like, why is wealth and equity? What it, like, I really go into like a dark place right? with a lot of money spending. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, and, and you might be angry about something that's totally not related to money. You might just be like, you know, you're, you're, you got in a fight with your mom and you're just pissed today and you're out there buying groceries, but that influences your buying decisions. If you're not clear on how you're feeling, same thing going into sobriety. If you're not clear about when you actually got a drink and why you got that drink until you understand that your sobriety is going to be really difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> funny, timely thing to mention. I, it's been six years for me that I, since I quit drinking and mm. I basically spent most of those six years, like just not drinking. And this is something mm -hmm. that Laura said when she was on the show, like not drinking is not a substitute for drink it like that it's I don't remember exactly what the the words were that she used but the idea is like at some point you have to start to look at some of those things and there's things that I of reasons that I had a drinking problem that I didn't that I haven't looked at until now and I'm like really right. what have you just been doing the last six years that, like you didn't heal these things right having the temper right. tantrum of like I don't want to deal with this like what you were saying about you know having to pay back <laughs> the money like like aren't I past this already like I don't want to have right. to go back into like my child and I'm like oh all right I guess I have more self-work to do it's not the answer yeah. is not just not drinking <laughs> right it's not because if you don't understand why you grabbed it in the first place and if you haven't forgiven yourself for that or understand the roots of that or really healed that part of you you're going to grab something else and it might not be spending and it might not be that, but you, you might be using other things that you're not even aware of because that, that compulsion is still there and that, that wound is still there in you. So, so oh, yeah, ahead. sorry. Oh, so this, that is where I would start is get really clear on what you're feeling every time you spend money, every time you spend money, every time you're on Amazon, check in and you have to, okay, what am I feeling right now? Because a lot of people are on Amazon because they are bored or maybe they don't want to talk to their husband. So they'd rather have the laptop on their lap or maybe they are frustrated and they hate going out in traffic. So I just do this. But that's really good to know. You've got to look at that. Like, do I like how I felt and do I like the story that's going on here and and becoming conscious around that? Yeah. Do you have any personal examples of a, one of those sort of everyday, I guess what we would say is like required spending, right? Like going to the grocery store or yeah, if you taxes. do have a car gas, like let's say any of those things, right? Like taxes, things that you personally felt not good about, like any range of, you know, consistently oh, bad emotions. How do you fix that? Like, how do you like, 
I don't know, like, what is there anything that's worked for you to be like not as resentful or angry or guilty or whatever the bad emotion is? Yeah, I mean, it, and it's really item by item. I mean, I got a parking ticket last year. I was so annoyed because I always pay, always, always, always pay. And for whatever reason, that day, I, I it just, I like parked my car and walked away. I don't even know what happened. So it wasn't even like I paid too little. Like I completely forgot to pay. And I was like, mad 38 bucks. Like that's so dumb. And then I thought, you know, if I think about it, like taxes, $38, it goes to my community. I like my community. If they asked me to pay $38 to clean up downtown, I would totally do that. Okay. So that helped. Um, taxes aren't, Sometimes easier than other times. And one year I got an extra $22,000 that I did not know I was going to owe. And I had all paid, you know, through the nose on my quarterlies already. And it was just an, a lot. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to. Like, this is so frustrating. And it was frustrating because of the way it was. It was because I had all this money in my account because the retreat that I was running was in January, but all the expenses were coming out in January. So it all fell into this one year. So it was like all this income that was about to be offset and was offset, but it just because of how it fell in the calendar year made me look like I made way more money, Um, which I hadn't because I had a retreat and I had to pay all that money back to all the different things. So that was frustrating. Um, And... And so I would, I would say that was the most difficult one to try to come around to of like, how do you feel good about this? And so one thing that made me feel good was I did have the money to pay it and I didn't have to go into debt. Um, but there have been other times when I have had to go, you know, like, and, and lots of people that have to go into debt in certain situations like that. So, um, I think just the ability to pay is is it is a privilege and even if that bumps me up to like negative one at least that's not negative eight sure and um usually if you tell your something tell yourself something true that helps you feel better so it's like i really don't like to pay this actually feels better than i shouldn't pay this i shouldn't have to pay this mm-hmm. just telling the truth to yourself i don't like having to pay this feels better yeah, you're then, totally right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like a more neutral statement, too. Like, this is just what's true. Yeah. Yeah. This is what's true. I do have to pay this, and I wish I don't. I wish I didn't, but I will. Um, might, might be true. In other places like Whole Foods, when it's like $228, and it's just my child and I, and I'm going to be back in three days, and I don't even know how we just spent that much money, I'm like... Um, one, yes, we're privileged and and very grateful to be able to buy good food and have those those um, those nice things in our life. And then also, I really value my health. I really, really value my health. So I'll I'll say something like that. I value my health, or I value, you know, certain things. Like I don't even blink an eye at. I have no problem spending a couple hundred bucks on jeans, and then. No problem really spending a couple hundred bucks on groceries. But if I was like going to buy, I don't know, a blanket for $200, I'd have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I agree too. I feel like the thing that I tend to, uh, the only thing that I feel like I have no guilt around spending money on is books. 
which is funny. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like, I just, I read so much. Yeah, oh my God, it's my favorite activity. It's that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, for the the ROI on this Kindle book price, right, is... Yes. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. I I have no, no, nothing like that. Um, You know, it goes along with my personal, my personal money work is really allowing myself to have nice things, allowing myself to be paid, allowing myself to have value, to take up space, to be worthy of love, all that kind of stuff. So the things that I have the hardest time spending money on are things for my home, things for me. You know, it's like very, yeah, I'm, the, sa- I'm, I'm the same way. Stuff. Yeah, I yeah. definitely, mm-hmm. but although it's funny, you know, when you were mentioning like this sort of different spiritual psychic work, whatever yeah. on like the income side versus the expense yeah. side, for me, the work is definitely more on the income side. Like everything you were yeah. saying about like letting yourself get paid, not doing yeah. so much free work, not doing so much overwork. Like I can relate to all of that. Like on the expense side, it's, there isn't as much like, stuff or like baggage there right Right. and it's definitely more on the other side so it's interesting even to like to separate those and that it's not just like money as one large scary topic that you can look at different elements of it you can look at different elements of it so that's that's what i have you check in um so that six weeks program that's that's on my website the one of the weeks is just getting ready to tell the truth and then you tell the truth about your finances like really what do you owe what do you have all that kind of stuff and then one week is spent um just looking at your spending and what do you feel like? Like no budgets. I am definitely will never teach you to budget ever. I I will teach you how to check in with how you feel and it changes. It completely changes your relationship. And then the next week is how do you feel when you earn? Because so many people, same thing, feel guilty about earning what they earn, feel guilty asking for money. They under earn or they might feel like they're overpaid. So they're feeling guilty. Like, so all of those emotions that are tied up in their earning are all jacked up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really both. You have to work both to have a real, um, a really functional relationship and, and healthy relationship with money. It's, it's looking at how do you let go of this energy and how easily do you let it come to you? It's both sides. So something that I wanted to ask you about, I feel like you've already started to address, um, when you were talking about, you know, checking in with yourself as you're spending, how you feel with every purchase, do you feel mm-hmm. like that's sort of the path to aligning your spending with your values? Cause that's something that people talk about. And again, it's sort of that vague thing of like, Oh, that sounds good to have, to have like what you spend be aligned with your values. But what does that actually look like in practice? You know? Well, I come from the belief that you don't even know what you value. If you want to know what you value, bring out your bank statements for the last three months and look at what you spent. Don't tell me what you value. Look, look at your actions. Your actions tell the truth. You spend most of your money on alcohol, cigarettes, and fast food. That's what you value. Whether or not you want to believe that, that is the truth. Um, and it is. So, I, I mean, I'm, I, I really believe, like Pete Rollins talks about this a lot, um, this idea of, like, you don't know what you believe. Look at your actions. They tell you because there's just things that you can't know about yourself. So, mm-hmm. um there are things that you might want to value and you might want to change the, your behavior so it matches this idealized form of yourself. But, I mean, if you sat me down on any, any given day, I'd say, yeah, I value myself. Yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah, I think I'm good. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, huh. Well, yeah, even, even to what you just said about in the Whole Foods example of, okay, I really, yeah. really value my health and then circle back to the beginning of the conversation right. while well, I worked myself to exhaustion point. So right. yeah, exactly. Right. So like, let's yeah. look like, what do you actually value? <laughs> right. You value good food, but you don't value rest. Interesting. 
Yeah. Well, no, I think there is something that's like very true and uncomfortable about the difference between what we what we wish we valued, what we would like to be perceived to value versus like what we actually do on a day to day basis. Like that shit is often not the same. (laughs) It is not the same. It is not the same. So if you want to know what you value, look at your behavior. I have this whole um, this whole like really fun money program where people have to take pictures of random shit and post them. And then they get to ask, yeah, get to ask them questions about it. But, you know, take a picture of your wallet. Oh my God. I could tell you everything about your relationship with money just by looking at that. Just by looking at that, it tells you everything. You end up manifesting, all of your beliefs are completely transparent when you start to look at, like, where, um, I mean, if if I said, uh, what's your inbox look like? All of your beliefs show up there. It's it's, uh, all these different places where your values show. They tell the truth, you know? Um, Yeah, so this idea that the awareness of that comes first. The awareness of what was I feeling? So, so for instance, yes, like right now, um, you're debilitated and sick, but you spend an enormous amount on food at Whole Foods. <laughs> so what's actually happening here? And, and so it's like, okay, now when I'm in Whole Foods, what am I doing and what am I valuing? And oh my God, how much money do I spend on coffee? <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, like this, this is like a pattern we got going on. You've, you're, you're spending an enormous amount of money energy, um, on trying to push harder and, and, uh, in your basket, I don't see any Valerian. I don't see, you know, sleepy time tea, nothing. None of that's there. Mm-hmm. We got coffee. We got go, go, go things. Um, so, so, so your values might start to shift or you might get forced into changing your values, which is usually what I wait for. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Same. Totally. I mean, please. <laughs> okay. So a couple of sort of random, more specific money questions would just love your thoughts, obviously from all the people that you've taught and worked with. Um, yeah. any tips for when friends have different budgets or spending styles than you? Like you have to go out to dinner with them or. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess you could talk about it through whatever lens, but just, I feel like that's a hard thing to navigate. Like even if let's say you do all of this work on your own, right. And you're, this is how much you're spending or this is whatever. And then it's just not in alignment with other people and then sort of navigating that. Right. Right. Well, you could buy a $3,000 Gucci dress. <laughs> wear it once and spill wine on it. That's, that's the meta Just wear, wear it one time. Run into a drunk girl with red wine. It's it's a great idea. Um, yeah, I, I think that the, I come from the camp that everything is possible. I don't, and, and, and this is a very philosophical question we, we could spend an enormous amount of time on, but... Um, I, I do believe I do believe I am privileged, and yet I also believe that everybody has opportunities. They might not have my opportunities, but everybody has opportunities, and everybody does have the power to change their life. Maybe not as much as other people, but they do have the power to change their life. So I'm not coming from the oh I have it so good and you don't, and I'm definitely not coming from the oh you have it so good and I don't. I'm I'm having more of a we all have potential. Sure. And it's, it's kind of infinite and, and there's a lot of luck in there. 
Um, so I don't really see if somebody has an enormous amount of money and I have nothing or vice versa, um, that, that that's a problem. All I see is that that's just really a belief system that's playing out for them. They believe certain things and I believe certain things. Yeah. I mean, well, and it came up when you were talking, I mean, about the, the Gucci dress and the other thing, like just spending, spending money to sort of like keep up with other people. Like is the alternative to that just having more honest communication about it? Like, well, um, the alternative for me has to be, uh, has been to understand that that's not who I am Mm -hmm. and to, and to really start to love who I actually am. And I said, it's a work in progress, but to, to continue to do that work of who am I really? And am I still lovable? Am I still lovable if I don't have a huge diamond ring? Am I still lovable if I don't have a brand new Lexus? Am I still lovable if I, um, only work five days a week? (laughs) Am I still lovable if I take a month off in Big Sur? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, these are, uh, these are true questions for me. These are difficult questions for me to come up against. Am I, am I still lovable if I am a liability, which is the thing that I've tried my whole life not to be? What if I am? And and would somebody love me anyway? And could I allow them to love me anyway? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so it depends. And it also depends on, do you want intimacy with these friends or not? And vulnerability with these friends or not. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm in all kinds of social circles or conferences or speaking somewhere where, you know, I have, I have no idea. And I'm definitely not going to sit down and like, Hey, so how big is your house? Right. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm sure there's all kinds of inequalities. Somebody's book did really well. Somebody's book didn't. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that as I, I don't use it to judge whether I'm a good person or a bad person or whether they're good or smart. None of that anymore. I just see, I just see money's a money is really just like, as I said, it's a spiritual tool. It's just something I will be doing for the rest of my life. Nobody's ever done. And, um, as just a practice forever. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is how do you talk to your daughter about money? Like, what are you teaching her? Oh, so she was completely um, updated constantly during the debt payoff program. Um, she she knew um, I was very, ex- uh, she was little at that point in time. So it was more like, you know, mommy made some choices that weren't the best. Um, and part of that means I have to pay this money back. It's called debt. And so she used to not understand what a debit card was. And when she saw a debit card, she's like, are you going into debt? And like, no, no debit is something that means I'm not going into debt. So, you know, I, I, I taught her everything. Debit card does this credit card does this A loan means this means you have to pay it back. It means you have to pay back and extra, and tried to put it into terms that she could understand. It's like if you if you asked to borrow somebody's doll, and so that would be debt, and you borrowed somebody's doll, but that if you, when you give back the doll, that you have to give your doll to them forever. That's how it works with debt. And she's like, why would you ever do that? <laughs> Kids speaking truth. <laughs> like, yeah, because you really wanted that doll that day. I don't know. I don't know why we do it. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I put it into little kid terms and I was not 
but I didn't have any shame around it anymore. And I thought, you know, um, I was blogging about it and, and I felt like if I, if I can talk to regular people, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not the person that like lost my fortune at nickel slots. It, I, I was just a regular person doing regular things and, and didn't make anything, you know, these reckless moves really. Um, Gucci and, yeah, and, and still wound up in that. Yeah, yeah, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. So, um, so I was, I was pretty forthcoming with her about that. And, and now to this day, still, I'm thinking about taking off the summer. I'm thinking about canceling these trainings. I'm thinking about canceling that retreat. This is what it will mean for us financially. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, we really wanted to go to Vermont. Um, my good friend, Pam, who I do my podcast with, she lives in Vermont. We wanted to go stay with her. And like, I, that will mean we can't go to Vermont because the money will not be spent on airline tickets, it, you know, but we could drive, <laughs> we could drive somewhere. Um, so, uh, so she's, she's really privy to work and what it means to work and what that costs, like what actual work costs me. And then also what things cost and, you know, she's at 15. So talking about a car. And so she, she really wants a cool guitar and I want her to have a cool guitar. She's an amazing musician. And so she's talking to me about, okay, well, how much does a car cost? How much does this guitar cost? Huh? Yeah. I think I want the car more. Mm -hmm. So, so she's, she's realizing, Oh, you know, which is great because we could figure out how to do it all, but it's great that she's, she's thinking, Oh, yeah, if this was like $6,000 and this is $6,000, I'd rather have the $6,000 car. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Um, so before we start to wrap up, the one yeah. of the last things that I wanted to ask is, let's see for anyone listening who is, and I'm sure this is a lot of people, if they're anything like me at different points in my life, experiencing some kind of shame around money, whether it's like spending or what they're making or just anything that we've talked about, anything that you would want to say to people that feel sort of stuck in shame around money. Yeah. And I say this about people that are in shame about recovery, in shame about affairs, in shame around their body, in shame around their money, (laughs) shame period around these kind of things that need to be healed. It only ever meant you were in pain. That's all it meant. It, that's all. The worst money decision you ever made was only because you were in pain. And if you could have some compassion for that woman or man at that time in their life that did the best they could in pain, you know, that's why we grab a drink. That's why we buy a house. That's why we have an affair. That's why it's anything. It's like these kind of decisions were made out of trying to cope with pain. Mm, yeah, you're totally right. And so when you come clean on that, then it's like, oh, of course I was in pain. God, look at my childhood. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, you know, or look at my marriage. Look at what was going on there. Oh, my God. We were, we were struggling trying to keep this together for years. And, you know, the, the money told the truth about the pain that, that was going on. But, oh, yeah, I was in pain. That's I mean, all. we're often also not, or at least I wasn't, like, taught how to deal with pain. <laughs> so, right, you know, you reach right. for other things that work until they don't. Yeah, you're not to how and and you don't know, you're not even registering how much pain you're in. Usually. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. So you're just you're just distracting yourself, numbing it out and coping at that point. 
So we are going to switch into our ending segment, even though I okay. could and want to talk to you for the next like 12 hours. Um, <laughs> maybe we will do a round two because we didn't even get into sobriety and all the other things that I want to talk to you about. I but... know. Well, I'm game. I'll do round two if you want to. You're fun. So um, this section is what we call community questions. So it's questions that yeah. the Patreon community, the awesome folks who fund the podcast, want me to ask all of our eight guests this season. So it's nine questions. Okay. Your answers can be as short or long as you like. Okay. Okay, so the first question is about routines, um, and there's so much focus on morning routines. I feel like everyone talks about that, but this question yeah. is um, for you to share what your evenings look like. How do you typically spend your evening routine? Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you my at-home version, not my Big Sur version. <laughs> not your Big Sur Little House <laughs> on the Prairie version? It's <laughs> <laughs> obsessive going to the sunset, watching the sun go down over the Pacific Ocean. No, at home, the routine is I, um, I pick up my daughter from high school, and we come home. She does homework, and I usually am sitting at the kitchen table with her while she's doing homework. We're listening to music, and I am usually doing email and and the end of the work day stuff. I cook dinner every night for her and then we go for a walk and walk our little dog, Bibi. And around the neighborhood, we live on a ranch. So we go through the ranch neighborhoods. And after that, we come to the couch, our sacred meeting place, and we watch TV <laughs> every night because that's what we love. I love and it. And so she and I, we have this amazing couch that oh, it's like our favorite place. And we get our blankies and we watch sitcoms. We love <laughs> dumb, funny sitcoms. And we, we, that's, we look forward to it all day, and that's what we do together. And do so, you have a current favorite dumb, funny sitcom that you love? Oh, my gosh. We love New Girl. We love um, – I mean, we're re-watching stuff that we've already watched, like Friends, How I Met oh, yeah. Your Mother. That's my jam, yeah. too. I'm a big rewatcher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so that's – yes, we love it. We just love the 22 minutes and make us laugh, and we watch, like, one or two. And then I go to bed really early. I usually am in bed by 9. Yeah, me she too. She stays up and plays music and, and plays guitar and sings and I go to sleep. So the next That's question, right. what do you most want to be known for? Oh gosh. I don't know that I want to be known. <laughs> hey, that's a fine <laughs> answer too. Yeah. You're, you're meeting me at a weird time in my life. Yeah. I think, um, at the end of the day that I was, I was a good mom and that I was a loving friend and that I was, um, had meaningful relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. So the next question, what's the last thing that made you feel totally awestruck? Like a moment that stopped you in your tracks, left you at a loss for words, but in a great way. Uh, last Friday, um, my daughter has never acted ever. And she had this whole vendetta against drama in general. And then she got suckered into doing this drama camp and when she walked out, she got the lead role, of course, because that's how things go when you hate something and don't want to do it. And then you get cast as the lead. But when she walked out on the stage, it was like one of those moments of like, oh, my gosh, I don't like I, it's not just because she's my kid. Like she's really special. And and it was just like, oh, I can't even believe I know that kid. It was just. Yeah, that's a lovely answer. I love that. So fitting, as we were just talking about money, if you were given um, basically like virtually an unlimited amount of money to try to fix one problem in the world, which problem would you choose and what's one thing you would do? 
that is what I do. That is my job. I am giving money <laughs> to fix a problem in the world. <laughs> and the money and the, my problem that I work on is human suffering, emotional suffering of humans. And, and that is what I'm passionate about, helping people forgive themselves and find peace in their lives. Mm, helping people forgive themselves. That's like the yeah. most necessary work in the world. So, right. I mean, that's what it. I, yeah, I feel like no matter what, um, whether I am getting paid for it or whether I had unlimited funds already, I'd still be doing this work yeah. of helping people find, find forgiveness and compassion for themselves. What's one of the best gifts you've ever received? Oh, Hmm. I have to think about that. I I was given a diamond ring by a friend when I was single and very, very sad <laughs> about being single and thought I was very broken and that nobody would ever love me. And she shipped to me a diamond ring and it, it was there for Christmas. And she said, don't open it until Christmas morning. And that was... Um, and, and it said inside, yes, this is real. And so are you. Mm. Yeah. That's that a beautiful a, gift. Yeah. 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 And it was just more like, you don't have to wait for the man, honey. You're mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. What's one habit that you've been successful at adopting over the past few years that you're proud of? Ooh. <laughs> like breaking habits right now or that that's that's <laughs> go for that my, yeah my my habit that I'm breaking I have definitely like weaned myself off of social media which has been good for me mm -hmm. um and I don't I don't know like right now I'm I'm kind of in that weird flux of like all habits are up for question which is an awesome and scary place to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you'll have to ask me that maybe in a year right, I might have clarity <laughs> we'll have the conversation of what stuck what came out of this time period totally <laughs> yes yes um what's one of your biggest fears uh my biggest fear is always that I'm not going to be safe and that my daughter isn't going to have what she needs. Mm. So I have a underlying fear of like not of lack of safety. And that just kind of comes out of childhood trauma and stuff. Sure. Lack of, lack of safety. So the next question is about books. As I mentioned, reading is my favorite. Uh, so this question is always like, oh, I'm going to add more things to my list, but I want it anyways. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Oh, my God. Um, for sure, Michael Singer's um, Surrender Experiment. Surrender Experiment? Is he the one that wrote Untethered Soul? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. But his book, Surrender Experiment, is about his 20-year journey in saying yes to whatever the universe asked him to do. Oh, wow. Okay. I got to read it's, that. It's nuts. And it really, really changed my life. Um, how many books do I need to give you? I mean, anything that comes to mind that you're like, this one, read this one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Surrender Experiment, I would say absolutely. Um 
There's so many for work. I'm obsessed right now with the Enneagram. Do you know anything about the Enneagram? So funny. It was, was it la- I think it was last season. Um, I had uh, a woman, a coach on Pace Smith who specializes in that. And the epi- yeah. and like she broke down all the different types for me. It was, I mean, yeah. it was fascinating. It was a yeah. great episode. So yes, I know about it lightly and then through her. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with that. And I really believe strongly, even if you don't want to do coaching or be coached, that's just a really, really great life tool to learn that. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, I think like the, the biggest impact books have been wild, um, a lot of memoirs, liars club, because for me coming out of trauma and, um, having, having abuse in my background and, hearing somebody else's journey and going me too, um, has been really, really healing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's, those are my favorite books. And those are the ones that I hold, hold very dear. Even Joan Diddy's, um, magical thinking. Oh my God. She's yes. Yeah. Those kind of books. And, and, you know, those are really dark and not everybody loves those kind of books, but I, I love them because I, I lived dark and I, and I still live dark. And, and so anybody that's willing to be in the darkness with me and isn't afraid, I, I love them. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way, especially I really resonate with what you said about sort of that me too moment. I feel like all the work that I do in the world is centered around that. Like, let's just tell the truth. And then someone else out there is going to be like, oh my God, me too. I'm not alone. Right. And that, that to me, like, that's the change moment. That's like the most powerful thing. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a yeah. question to ask themselves, a small action to take? Yeah, I'd like you to grab some cash and just look at it. Like spend five minutes looking at it and and notice your stories. What's your story about money? But look at cash. Like look at something that's as real as as it gets. Mm. And, um, and maybe open yourself up to this idea that money doesn't have to be for wall street or financial or Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey. It doesn't have to be in this like complicated other world and that you can heal this relationship and it can be deeply meaningful in your life. Even if you don't even have uh 401k, even if you don't, you know, have, whatever portfolio, like even if you're heavily in debt, even if you're bankrupt, I don't care, but every single person is entitled to have a relationship with money and you, and, and to spend some time thinking about what's your story now and what story would you like to have? Mm, I love that. Yeah. Money is for everyone. (laughs) I love that. Um, so what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect? Yeah, my website is my first and last name.com, meadowdevore.com. And um, I have weekly classes listed there, which are fun. Um, I have a podcast, I have blogs. So yeah, that's a great way to stay in touch or to maybe dive into this work deeper if you wanted to. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Meadow, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate um, this opportunity. Talk to your people. Very honored. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Look at us. We're named twins. 
We are. (laughs) (laughs) It's always funny when I talk to you, especially when I email someone else named Nicole. I'm like, this is weird. I'm just writing to myself. (laughs) (laughs) It happens Um, to me too. (laughs) So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid fire questions so that I can start to learn all the things about you. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. (laughs) No pressure. Tell me everything. Um, (laughs) How do you usually spend the first hour of your day? What's your morning like? Okay, my morning, um, well, I don't wake up with an alarm clock, which is really amazing. Um, So I just let myself wake up naturally. And then first thing is lemon water, like warm lemon water. And then I usually do, like I have a little altar where I do off, like a little moment of offerings, like light some incense. Um, And then I'll do about a 10 to 20 minute meditation and Sometimes if I'm like, if there's time, I'll like go in the hot tub with my partner. So that's like when I want like a really lush morning Um, and then green smoothie and then I start my work for the day. So I work from my home studio, so I kind of can make my own time. So I let the morning sort of unfold in a little bit of a more relaxed way so that I can try to bring that relaxation into my day when I'm working. So, yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds like the yeah. best morning ever. <laughs> so, I'm like feel more Zen just having heard about what your morning was like. It, it is really it is a really nice morning. And I usually also like play with my kitty for a few few minutes, too. <laughs> so that She doesn't stand on my computer. all day. Oh, my work. gosh. I know I had to get, you know, French doors installed on my home office. It used to just be like an open space because one of our cats is just so chill and will just come and nicely chill. And that's fine. And the other one's like, what are you doing? Can I stand on this? Can I touch this? Can I eat these wires? Yeah. I'm like, you have to stay out. Like, you, I don't trust you. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And I'm like painting a lot for, I'm an illustrator, so I paint a lot. And the, the lamp that I use actually creates a little bit of heat because it's a full spectrum light. So the cat is like very drawn to that because it's like this hot spot, but it's right on my painting. So <laughs> there's definitely been like paw prints and paint and then like <laughs> paw prints. On my, like, I'm just like, no. Ah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. What are you totally obsessed with right now? Hmm. Hmm. I think my mind is really filled with children's book illustration right now. I just just got back from four day conference on children's lit from Friday through yesterday, literally from like eight in the morning till nine or 10 at night. So that feels like obsession level. (laughs) And before and then after when I get home, like working on illustrations for that. So I feel so immersed in that. Now I have this like book list of all these um, picture books to to read and also I, I love reading so I also found it's all of kids lit so I'm not I don't write novels but they also you know were like YA and middle grades so now I have like all these fun reading so I'd say reading might be the other half of that because I'm really excited about diving into some of those books from authors who I got to hear speak about them so yeah it was, it's, it's gonna be fun I'm excited for yeah, that yeah that sounds like fun I love YA middle grade books yeah, yeah, I do too. And I, I like it's, I don't always know about how to discover new ones really well. So this when I go to this conference every year, it's so great, because I get a feeling for like the backstory from the author, and I hear it right from their mouth and their whole process. And, you know, you can really, then it gets me even more excited about reading their book. And it's usually Usually that happens in the reverse direction. I'll read a book and wish that I could hear the person speak. And yeah, (laughs) so it's going around the other way this time. So, Well, if you read any that you really love, let me know. I am always into those kind of books. Yes, I will. All right. Next question. What is the strangest or most random job you've ever had? 
Hmm. Um, let's see. The strangest or most random. Um, I feel like it was the most random in terms of my whole life. It was definitely the most boring job. <laughs> and it was definitely did not match anything, any other job I had, but it was like, for a few weeks in between, I, I was like in college, but it was like in the summer and I had this like cleaning job and I thought it would just be like cleaning um, like apartments when people moved out of this big apartment structure, but they had me do where I was like cleaning all of the molding in these long hallways and then also like vacuuming all these long hallways. So it was really meticulous and like super long and the vacuum, which I've never seen before, it was like so strange. The vacuum was like a back that you had to wear so it was like this jetpack like hot backpack as you're vacuuming and I'm like this just seems like it's designed to sort of torture you like what is this it's like nah it doesn't make sense so that was that was probably definitely the most random oh yeah that's an excellent story it's funny when I was I was kind of on the fence about which questions do I want to include for the outros this season I'm like let me just ask about random jobs and now I'm so glad I did because that's an awesome story (laughs) and it's like you don't I you know I pictured it as more of a normal job and then when I was actually doing it just me like in these endless hallways like scrubbing minute things with this backpack I mean it was just I felt like I was in like a Kafka book or something like what is going on (laughs) by myself the whole time like never with another person too it was just like solo the whole time (laughs) if you have a totally free afternoon what's your favorite way to spend it Mm, well, I love, I live near the ocean, so I love, like, walking. I love being outside in nature, so I would say I would probably, like, either walk to the beach and, like, walk through the lagoon, go down to the ocean. Um, I mean, I usually, I'm not, like, a layout in the sun type person, but I love, like, doing long walks, like, through the neighborhood or take my bike out and, like, go on the the bike path goes for miles all along the ocean, like to the north and the south. So I take a long ride and I love hiking too, but I don't really love driving. And since I'm in LA, like anything I can do without driving has an extra like bonus point added onto it. So (laughs) totally. I'm very familiar with the exact bike path that you're talking about. The one that I think the one you're talking about is, um, the one that connects the Bologna Creek path that goes, yeah, I used to, I've run so many hundreds of miles on that path when I used to live down there. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely biked along the Bologna Creek. I live really close to the Bologna Creek. So yeah, I go through the lagoon there and like the wetlands and then along the, um, along the ocean. So, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. All right. So yes. the last question, what's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Mm-hmm. More open and honest about. Um, I think maybe money. I feel like money is like one of those things that people are really like, there's a lot of sort of, um, a stigma around it and we like kind of attach your self-value to it and I actually think that if people are more honest about money like there's situations where we could help each other out a lot more like I just was thinking back to when I used to work in a studio with a bunch of other illustrators and you know when I was open and honest with people about like money and what we were making we were actually able to like make sure that people who were making less who probably should have been making more like had the courage to like ask for more money and I just feel like there's such a feeling of oh like you know if I'm making less than you it's like less valuable but I think we can if we're more open about it it might we might be able to help each other more and and just take away some of that like taboo energy around it especially in 
the states i feel like it's like that so Mm -hmm. i mean i couldn't agree with you more all i want to do is talk about money so yes i agree (laughs) um so you are a member of our patreon support squad which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season and i would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what you love most about being in our little community yeah, so I'm so happy to support the show. And I love the whole model of like the sort of crowdfunded model rather than advertising. That's really exciting to me. Like I love that like direct, the direct like creator and the consumer of like the creation is like a direct relationship. I love that. Um, and I, um, as I said before, I illustrate um, for a living. So I spend a lot of time like painting and um and when you're in that state, it's so amazing to like, listen, you know, and I'm alone in my studio with my kitty sometimes, but pretty much alone. And so I love like, it's like I'm in a room with really amazing coworkers who have really interesting stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I'm not like on the spot to really, you know, respond. I can just sort of enjoy it and listen like as I'm painting. And I just, I mean, I wanted there to be the reason why I supported it was I want there to be more episodes. Like I just want it to keep going so I can have more to listen to and more amazing conversations. I just really appreciate the sort of the conversations just so natural and just so authentic and people reveal so much that it feels like, oh, these are like the real conversations that you would want to be having with people. So yeah, I, I, I love that the model and what you're doing is great. So I'm so glad to be a part of it. And, um, and so that's, that was my main reason for being a part of it. In terms of the community, I'm excited to join in on one of the book clubs. Um, I love reading and I love like talking about what I'm reading. So I haven't done it yet. So, um, what my schedule has been like, but I'm planning on joining into that um, soon. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad that I'm your fake coworker. That's so funny. I love it. (laughs) I'm your virtual coworker. Uh, Yeah, the book club has become one of my favorite parts of our, you know, what we can sort of do within the Patreon community. It's awesome. I like, too, that everyone seems to be open to me picking, like, tougher books or books that, you know, last month um, drink, right? Like talking about alcohol this month, mating in captivity, talking about sex. I'm like, let's do it. Let's do all the things. Um, So awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being brave and joining me for this. Yes. Thank you for all that you do. It's amazing. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of fun opportunities like the book club, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. <laughs>